And we turn this morning especially to look at verse 7, which I will read again. Paul says to these Corinthian Christians, and the Lord says to us here this morning, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, from time to time, it's important for us to remember what we are, who we are, what our very purpose and function is as a church of God, as a local church of Jesus Christ. And last week, we looked at the subject of Sunday. Today, the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, we need to remember how this day is set apart, how this day is special. It is holy to the Lord. And this morning I want to think for a little while about the subject of giving, of what we give as the Lord's people to his work. It would be easy for me to assume the folk in Grove Chapel don't need to hear about that. They already know all about that. Don't need to tell them anything about giving. They all understand what it means to give to the Lord's work. I think I would be profoundly mistaken in having an assumption like that. I think, on the contrary, there is great need in addressing this subject today. As I make four points about our giving. And my first point is entitled Household Giving. Household Giving. Now, before I come to that, you might be thinking something in your own minds. And I don't blame you if some of you are. You might be thinking, this sounds like a fundraising appeal. Obviously, the church is hard up. Obviously, the church is near to bankruptcy. Uh, the accounts are almost empty. They're maxing out on all their credit cards or whatever it might be. They've decided to launch an emergency appeal for emergency funds. Why doesn't the minister of this church be completely honest and say to everybody here, come on, folks, just cough up, right? Come on, if you're not giving, give more, give something, double your giving if you are giving. Why don't I just come round now with one of those, you know, rattling cans and say, come on, money for Grove Chapel, put your money in there, sign this form, and, you know, let's just get the job done. We need your dosh, folks. We need your money. Is that what I'm doing this morning? Well, am I? I'll answer the question very, very honestly. I won't wriggle out of it like a politician on the Today program on Radio 4. Let me assure you, and this is not a politician, this is, this is the church speaking here. There is no crisis. There is no crisis. Grove Chapel is not about to sell its assets or file for bankruptcy. But would an increase in giving be welcome? And the answer is always. Not just now, but always. 
For example, we would like to be in a position in which the church could permanently support not only a pastor, as now, but also an evangelist permanently, and indeed a third full-time worker if that could be afforded from the funds that were given by church members. But at that point, I'm going to stop and say, that sounds too much like fundraising. I'm not fundraising this morning. Far be it from anybody here to stand and fundraise from this platform. We're talking about household giving. And let me say this. If you are a member of this church, you are part of the household of faith, the household of God, the family and the community of God, which meets here at Grove Chapel. That's part of who you are and your identity and where you belong. If you belong to a household, you have a personal interest in the well-being of that household. You're part of a community, and you've placed yourself under an obligation to seek the very best for that community. And I want to speak very openly and honestly to all members of Grove Chapel who are here this morning. When you became a member, voluntarily, you made public promises in the presence of God and in the presence of all the people here. And one of the questions you answered was this. Do you promise to give a fitting proportion of your time, talents, and money for the church's work in this world? And you said yes to that. Because being a member of this or any other local church is far more than simply turning up on a Sunday morning, sitting here for an hour and a half or so, and then going home and saying, there we are. I've done my bit for that church this week. I've done my bit even for God this week. I've ticked the box of being a Christian or a church member. No, being a member of this church is about investing your life in the family of God, in the body of Christ, in the community, that is what we are, of God's people, of the household of faith. We mentioned on Wednesday night, and I'll remind people and say to others who weren't there, we're planning to start quite soon a new members class for those who have recently become members and also a class for those who wish to become members of Grove Chapel. Why are we doing such a thing as that? Well, here's the answer. Because being a member of this or any other local church involves investing your time, talents, and money in the life and work of that church. But before we come to that, we need to be prepared to invest something bigger than our time and our talents and our money. We need to invest our very selves and our very lives 
in God and in his people. And I come next to the vital subject of our motivation in giving. Why give? Why want to give? Why feel the desire to give? My second title is Grateful Giving. Household giving, yes. Grateful giving. And we come now to our text. And we began the service in the previous chapter, in chapter 8. And we began with verse 9, where we read Paul writing these words. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. It would be quite impossible and quite unthinkable for the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the Corinthians, to issue any kind of appeal to Christians or even to make any kind of command or request of any kind whatsoever without doing this, without rooting it, grounding it completely and utterly in the person and in the work and the life and death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul can't appeal to Christians in a vacuum, or just say to them, you know, folks, it's good to be generous. Look after people less fortunate than yourselves, the kind of thing you hear often at Christmas time. No, it's far more than that. It's for the love of Jesus Christ. It's for the gift of Jesus Christ. It's Paul the Apostle being overwhelmed by the fact that Jesus Christ has given himself, and the Father has given his Son, Jesus, so freely so generously, so fully as he has. That's the motivation for any Christian to want to give anything. We sometimes sing these lines from the hymn. Um, I'm trying to think of the first line of the hymn. It'll come back to me in a moment. But um, from heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her and for her life he died. It's come back to me. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ the Lord. I'll read those words again. From heaven, from heaven Jesus came and sought her, the church, to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. What happened? I'll tell you. The eternal Son of God, equal with the Father, in rank, in, in, in substance, in glory, in infinity, in eternity, in every way, the eternal Son of God left heaven. And we can't imagine what heaven for the Son of God was like, can we? But a place of amazing glory and beauty and riches and splendor. And he came to the squalor of a borrowed stable. He came to live as a man among men, as a poor man among poor men. 
as a dying man among dying men, as a crucified man among crucified men. He became a sacrifice. He became a sin offering. He became a substitute for your sin and for mine in laying down his life. And why did he do this? Why did he do this? Here's the answer. He did it to buy, to purchase, to ransom a people, to pay for them at the cost of his own life blood, to bring us to God to be his own special people, his own purchased people, the church of God. That's what God has done. That's what his son has done. That's why we gather here today, because we have been bought at a price, and that price is the blood of Jesus Christ. So if the question is, why should I invest my heart and my life in the church of God? Here's the answer. We should invest our hearts in the church of God because the Lord Jesus Christ wholly invested himself his body and his soul and his spirit and his heart and his mind and his strength and yes and his sweat and his tears as well in buying purchasing redeeming his beloved bride his own body it's called the church of God I put it like this there would be no church of God unless the Son of God had taken our human flesh and given himself on Calvary's cross to pour out his blood and his life to save and redeem precious sinners like you and me. That's our motivation. It's love and gratitude poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who points our minds and hearts to Jesus Christ. Grateful giving which leads on swiftly to my next point, and in one sense, my main point this morning. Cheerful giving. It's the burden of the passage of the verse we're looking at. We're looking, I remind you, at chapter 9 and verse 7 in particular. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What is to be the manner and attitude of our giving to God? We should give cheerfully. What does that mean? Well, Paul tells us, first of all, what it doesn't mean. It's the opposite of giving reluctantly, giving grudgingly, giving with a tight fist, giving with a hard heart, giving with a sense of, oh, if I must, I'll give you something I don't really want to. God does not want us to give in that spirit at all. No, on the contrary, to be cheerful is to be ready. It's to be willing. It's to give joyfully with open hands and open hearts and say, yes, I, I really want to give. My heart is enlarged and opened wide. I choose to give. I don't need to have it dragged out of me. I want to give. The Lord is more concerned 
about our attitude in giving than he is about the quantity that we give. You remember the the widow that Jesus indicated in the temple. And as all these rich people were bringing their gifts to the temple treasury and making a bit of a show of it, their uh, hundreds and their thousands and their silver and their gold, there was this poor old widow with two small copper coins, a couple of pence we might say today, dropping them in the box. And Jesus said, this widow has given far, far more than those people who gave so much more as you measure it. Why? Because she gave willingly and readily and cheerfully. Out of her own poverty, she gave in that spirit. And if we go right back into the Old Testament, we see how the Lord has always been concerned about cheerful giving. This is the burden. This is what I'm trying to say to you this morning. I'm talking not about large amounts of giving. I'm not talking about the quantity of giving. I'm talking about the attitude of giving. That is what this verse is about, cheerful giving. In the time of Moses, when the tabernacle was being built, we hear Moses saying to all the people in Exodus 35 and verse 5 these words, Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze. And then later on in that same chapter, chapter 35 of Exodus in verse 21, this is what we read. And so they came. Listen to this. Everyone whose heart stirred him And everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. There was no compulsion. There was no laying down of a law. There was no specific tax or levy or proportion that was required of the people in their giving. They were to give with a generous, free, and willing spirit. And that's how they gave. And that's how we are to give to the Lord's work. And I'm talking about our money, but I'm talking about our time. I'm talking about our talents. I'm talking about our energy. I'm talking about all that we have. But wait a minute. I hear several people around this room saying now, What about tithing? Who's been thinking about tithing? You don't have to put your hand up, but some of you have been. Well, what about tithing? And let me say this. There will be many people here who have probably never heard the word tithing until I said it about 20 seconds ago. And I'm thinking, what is he talking about? I don't know what that word means. Because we can't assume that everyone knows what tithing means. Well, what is a tithe? Let me explain. Starting, in a sense, with a blank sheet of paper. In the Old Testament, in the books of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, the people of Israel were commanded by God to give one-tenth or a tithe, which is a good old English word meaning a tenth, 
They were to give a tenth of all their produce to the people called the Levites. And the Levites were there to look after the tabernacle, the the tent where worship was carried out, and then later on the temple. They were to look after the offerings and the sacrifices and maintain the worship of God as God's people. And then much later on in countries like our own, in the Middle Ages, the people of this country, of England, were required to pay one-tenth of their income, a tax or a tithe. Why? To maintain the church, to pay the salaries of the clergy, of the ministers, of the priests in those days who served in the church. Now, that's what we mean by tithing. Let me say this. Here is a subject where different Christians may give different opinions and answers. I can think of some pastors who have insisted that every single member of their church really must give one-tenth and no less in every case. I once said to a certain pastor, Supposing you had in your church somebody who was on a very, very low income, barely making ends meet, on benefits, unemployed, struggling, really, really struggling to to get going at all, would you insist on that person giving at least 10% of what they had to the church? And he said, yes, I would, in every case. And I thought, well, I... I may not join your church if I'm ever a bit hard up. I'm not sure I quite agree with what you're saying there. I've heard other people saying things like this. Of course they say it has to be, it has to be one-tenth and no less of your gross income and not of your net income, your income before tax, national insurance are deducted. Now, I want to explain what I understand from the Word of God to be the great principles on this very question. Tithing, giving a tenth. In the Old Testament, that was a binding requirement for Israel, by which I mean they were under an obligation to give that tenth of all their produce to the priests and the Levites. But tithing in the Old Testament has been superseded. It has been overcome. It has been that there is is a bigger principle in the New Testament. And it's the one we have in this passage before us. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. But let me add to that. Although the 10% figure is not binding on us, it remains a valuable guiding principle. And I mean this. If you are unsure of how much of your income you would give to the work of the church, start with a figure of 10%. 10%. It's a biblical starting point. 10% of what? 
I suggest 10% of what you take home every month of your life. Now, that is a guiding principle. But there's more. Yes, there's more that I must say. Because there are, of course, some Christians, I would say many Christians, who can certainly afford to give more than 10%. And in their consciences might be guided by the Lord to give more than 10%. Maybe you've heard this story of uh, a Christian father who was teaching his daughter about giving and about tithing. And he took her piggy bank and he took the bottom off it and he emptied it all out onto the table, all these 1 and 2p and 5p coins. And he arranged them into 10 equal-sized piles of coins. And he put one pile over there and the other nine piles over there. And he said to his daughter, So then, these nine piles are for us and this one pile is for the Lord. And she said, What? Is that all? Is that all that God is worth? Just that little pile of coins? Why are we getting so much and God so little? How can we be so mean to God? And I think that the father was challenged by his daughter to increase his giving on that occasion. There are some of us who have been so blessed by the Lord that we may, without compulsion, I keep repeating that, Don't be compelled by me or anybody else, but seek the Lord and you may decide with a free, generous, willing spirit to give more than this starting point of one-tenth. But equally, I would also add this. There are some people, and maybe this is only true for a certain period of their lives, who ought not to give as much as a tenth. If money is scarce, if the basics of food and clothing are difficult to afford, it is cruel to insist that everybody gives a tenth. Paul says in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I can't think this would ever happen, but in case it ever did, it would be inhuman for a mother and father to have children who are going without, I mean really going without, in order to support the church. We need to support those who are closest to us, but in ordinary circumstances, we should all be challenged about this seemingly biblical proportion of one-tenth as a guideline. But let me, let me add more to this. There is great wisdom in the wording of the question that we as a church have put for many years uh, to new members who come into Grove Chapel. Question five, you remember, is this. Maybe you don't remember. I'll remind you. Do you promise to give a fitting proportion, a fitting proportion of your time, talents, and money for the church's work in the world. We need to decide what that fitting proportion is. 
bearing in mind everything that's been said this morning. And I repeat yet once more, the main principle is that we give with a cheerful spirit, not feeling dragged by the uh, hectoring of somebody else or or by motives that are somehow wrong or um, We should be giving out of a heart that has understood that Jesus Christ gave himself freely, gave himself generously, and that we are a family, that we are a household, that we are interested, truly interested and concerned about the cause of Jesus Christ in the world and especially in this local church. And when we understand that, we are able to determine how much we give, not only in terms of our money, but in terms of our time and in terms of our talents as well. Now, there's just one other question that I'd like to address before coming to some final practicalities. Should all our giving be to the church, to this church, to Grove Chapel. That's my question at this point. What about other needs? What about various parachurch groups? What about missionaries? What about Christian organizations at home and abroad? What even about various secular charities? Save the children or whatever it might be. What about local causes? How do we answer that question? Should we give to others as well as to the church? And how do we decide who to give to? Well, the answer is surely found by remembering again that this local church is our family. It's our home. It's our community to which God has called us. There's a saying, isn't there? Charity begins at home. It's not found anywhere in the Bible. It's not a biblical principle as such, but it applies here. And it's the responsibility of the trustees of Grove Chapel to determine how the gifts given to this church are distributed, home and abroad, supporting those who work for the church, maintaining the local ministry of the church, agreeing reasonable sums for the upkeep of the building, supporting missionaries and so forth. What's the answer to this question? The main and primary beneficiary of your giving and mine should be the local church to which we belong, to which God has called us, into which we've been brought by God himself. Anything beyond that is for us to determine by wisdom and prayer And, of course, we are free to give cheerfully and willingly to other groups as well as to the church, the local church here at Grove Chapel. Cheerful giving. That was a long third point, wasn't it? I have a very, very short, indeed, final thing to say. Practical giving. How do I give? How should I give? How do I start to give, you might be asking? Well, as Rule said earlier on, we don't take up an offering during the course of our services here. Why is that? Because for most of us, we can give by setting up standing orders for regular giving 
electronically. I'll just say this. We ought not to think that there is something somehow more sacred or more Christian or more spiritual about putting money into a box rather than setting up a monthly standing order or something like that. That is really not true at all. Some people might say, oh yes, but if I give some actual money, I, I, f- I feel the pinch more. I, I, I feel I'm giving more if I see that coin or note going into that box. But let me just say, it's not about feeling the pinch. It's about giving cheerfully. It's about giving generously. It's about giving out of a heart that, is, that has understood what God has given in Christ. And we give in response to that. I will just demonstrate that we do have these little yellow envelopes, both sides of the church, and you can put, if you wish, you can put money into these, and you can put them into the boxes which are there at the back. But then there is also gift aid, and I'll be very brief indeed. What's gift aid? Well, if you are a UK taxpayer on earned income or a pension, you can obtain a gift aid form from Sheila Arthur, who is sitting Sheila's over there, if you need to see her later on. What does that mean? It means that for every pound you give, 25 pence can be claimed back by Grove Chapel. So all your giving can actually have 25% added onto it. Why is this? Because Grove Chapel is a registered charity, and we can use this scheme because the donations are not used for the private benefit of the givers, but rather for the charitable work of the church here and elsewhere. And our charitable work is what? It's making known the gospel of Jesus Christ and supporting that here and everywhere. I've covered a lot this morning. I may have blinded you with detail, and I'm sorry if I have. But I want... And the Lord would surely desire that the overwhelming take-home message from today is this. God is so gracious to us. And the gospel that saved us and plucked us from death and brought us into life is a gospel that we as God's people want to support by whatever means we can. By being grateful we must surely know what it is to be cheerful. Our cheerful giving is our response to the gratitude we know that God sent his Son into the world for us. I'll repeat again those words from chapter 8 and verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And as we give, we are acting in the most Christ-like way we can. We are saying, Christ gave himself and left all the glory and the comfort and the, the ease, as it were, of, of heaven, and he gave himself for us to, to, to purchase us by his blood. 
Therefore, when I give of my money, of my time, of my abilities, of my praying, of my life, I'm living as a member of the household of Jesus Christ. And I'm following Christ himself in that giving that he gave. Let's have some time to reflect on that. Let's be quiet, and in a moment I will lead in prayer.